Hello, 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 everybody. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot, the grittiest reboot show there's ever been in the world. Today, we continue the Jack Ryan series that has gone on. This is our third installment of the series. Mm -hmm. And this week, we cover Some of All Fears, starring Ben Affleck, who I learned that you hate. Yeah. (laughs) Who I learned that I hate. (laughs) Yeah, apparently so. We all learned things this week about nature. And then uh, a film that is almost completely forgotten to time somehow, even though it wasn't that long ago. Chris Pine as Jack Ryan in Shadow Recruit. Yeah. And that's the title, actually. Jack Ryan. Shadow Recruit. So, once again, I ask you, as we start this whole thing off, what is your knowledge of the sum of all fears before this week? I had absolutely no knowledge of either of these movies. Here's the thing. And we'll start off. We'll go ahead and talk about a little bit of Shadow Protocol at this moment. Nah, damn it. I just did it. Shadow Recruit, not Shadow Protocol. Yeah, I know. You're so into the <laughs> yeah, protocol. Yeah, I know. It shadows something. I, 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 I Sexually keep forgetting. Sexually attracted to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I keep forgetting everything about the, the Shadow Recruit. But, but no, that, that's sort of what I wanted to mention is this one didn't come out too long ago. But it's almost completely forgotten. It has no pop culture relevance at all. It came in, it got middling reviews and flopped, and it just disappeared entirely. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's sort of interesting when you have a long-running franchise and just an installment just completely doesn't make any waves. It like it jumps in a pool, like uh, you know, just perfectly to where it just it barely disturbs anything. And that's what Shadow Recruit was. A lot of people forget about this movie that it even is a thing. And I like that because I listened to a couple other Jack Ryan podcasts this week where they talked about the character. And there were a couple of times people were like, oh, yeah, Chris Pine did play him because it's just such a forgettable installment and performance. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. Where were you, sir? I have an alibi. No, I, uh, I saw this in the theater. Ooh. I saw The Sum of All Fears in theaters. And I'm glad you actually asked because it was actually an incredible experience. Because I was enjoying the film as it was going along. And, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. It's no it was spoilers for a movie from 2002, right? Two. Mm-hmm. 2002. And at one point, there is a nuclear attack in an American city. Mm-hmm. And this movie comes out in June after 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's a summer movie, big summer movie. It might come out a little earlier. But when the bomb blows, you could hear a pin drop in that theater. I mean, it was absolutely silent yeah because there was still you know a shared trauma among a lot of americans americans lose hard in in this movie yeah yeah so this movie is comes out this movie was shot before 9-11 they wrapped production i think like in in july or august of 2001 and 9-11 happens so they have a spy movie about a terrorist attack in american city Mm -hmm. so they have to decide what they want to do so they say well let's just wait a year so they decide to wait till the next summer and it comes out and it was still very fresh in a lot of Americans minds. And I can tell you from that theater experience, cause you know, I think it was a kind of a hype crowd really calmed down after that moment. You know, they, they thought of a lot of bad stuff and you know, it's one of the things that oddly enough didn't hurt this movie financially, but really hurt it critically. Mm-hmm. A lot of critics really pointed out that it was too soon to release a movie about a terrorist attack. And I agree. And, you know, it might have been, you know, that might have been a, a bad decision at, at the end of the day. Having now seen the movie. Yeah. 
I definitely can see why people took some issues with it. Because out of all the Jack Ryan movies that we've seen, this one to me is the grittiest. Yeah, I'd say so. Because, you know, there's always in these movies, like, the the, the timer's going to go off. You have to stop yeah. the attack. And that's not what the movie's about, really. It's about the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens when it, then something does happen. And that was a unique thing for America to experience. So I think, and I, I very rarely do I start off like this already, but I think The Sum of All Fears is a strong film. It is. I think it's a very strong film. It's, I liked it's, it. It's a little stupid at points because it has to be a summer blockbuster, but, it, but it's mostly pretty, pretty well done and pretty well crafted. And I, I wanted to... So anyway, McCready, at this <laughs> point, he knows that it's one living organism. Oh, we're not talking about the thing anymore. No. All right. Sorry, guys. We, we lost our place. Um, we, we forgot that we had company in a few weeks ago. So the litter box is in here where we record. Mm-hmm. And so the cat just wanted him to take a shit mid-show. <laughs> we had to stop for a moment and not try to burst out laughing while the cat just takes a shit, meows at us, and walks away. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, go away. And he's just like, meow. Yeah. He's like, he's like, fuck you. I do what I want. He's very vocal after his shits. Yeah, he, he is. He's a vocal cat after that. Yeah. Nerd! Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> God, I thought I was going insane. I, I was trying to keep the phone awake, and I didn't realize that it, it won't it won't go dark here. So I played that sound effect. It's, it's, it really did. It absolutely terrified you. <laughs> uh, Starting off good. Ah, uh, the show's off the rails. So in the year of our Lord 2002, we got the film The Sum of All Fears. Hello, Kathy. I can't make it. Where are you going? I can't tell you that. Jack, tell her where you're going. In fact, tell her who you work for. She'll be impressed. I work for the CIA, and the director asked me at the last minute to come with him to Russia to do a nuclear arms inspection. That is so lame. Hello? <laughs> you were about to breathe air this way. Okay, so yeah, we, we talked about, obviously, you know, where we came from with the movie, so we got that out of the way. So I think we can go right into this picture. Yeah. We started a missile silo. The title card is a bunch of planes taking off and, and pilots doing things. And, you know, it's just you get that for like a good five minutes. Yeah. So this is our, our opening sequence. And, and to start the film, we do get a little blurb on there that we have to read. In 1973, Egypt and Syria launched a surprise attack against Israel. By day two, ground forces appeared on the verge of defeat. In the event that their ground forces were overrun, an A-4 jet was set to take off on patrol with one nuclear bomb. And that's our setup for this movie. We yeah. see this nuclear jet. This is whole setup is to basically that. Them n- loading that nuclear bomb onto the jet. Mm-hmm. It takes off and it goes real well. It comes right back home and no movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's shot down and it goes, but its payload is left out there, right there in the middle of the desert. Yep. That's how we start. Yeah. We got an intense title card sequence. And then we go to a motorcade and some intense music. James Cromwell is the president, and he's being debriefed. So I, I like this, how this begins, because we're already at like DEFCON 4 mm-hmm. or DEFCON 5. I don't know which way the DEFCON is. Whichever one's a bad DEFCON. So we're already there, and they're coming in, and they're going through all the cliches. Like, we have to be ready, prepared to attack. We have to do this and that. And they're going through it, and then all of a sudden, the president gets a phone call, and all of a sudden, he breaks kayfabe. <laughs> and it's like... 
It's a black tie dinner? Really? Okay, yeah, no, I can be there in 20 minutes. You know, and immediately, it's a ruse. Like, mm-hmm. That's all it is. They're just running a drill in case they ever had to be prepared to fire the nuclear codes. Spoiler, they're going to need that. I know. So, but it, it's, it's okay. I think it's a fun gag and it works because this movie is full of fantastic actors. You mentioned James Cromwell earlier, mm-hmm. who is really, really great as the president. I, I, I don't think, him. yeah, like I said, I don't think this is necessarily like a great part, but he's able to do so much with it just because of who he is. And he's played the president. A few times, right? I don't really know. That's a I good think question. He has. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times that he's played the president. I want to say it's a, at least one other time. He was Jack Bauer's dad in Twenty Four. That's another. Well, we'll we'll talk about Twenty Four a little bit as we go through here, but because I think that's an influence that you'll see on the two movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, he certainly is prestigious enough. He played a senator in Species Two. <laughs> Only you would know that. Yeah, I've seen because that's why I remember watching Species Two. I was like, "The fuck did James Cromwell end up in this? Like, who? What bet did he lose?" But oh, I did want to mention while we're here, we're talking about the cast. I mentioned Cromwell, obviously, but I wanted to mention Philip Baker Hall. He plays Defense Secretary Becker. Philip Baker Hall, who you might recognize from Magnolia, mm-hmm. is just a fantastic character actor, and it's such a nothing part that he it lends so much gravitas to. It's one of those things. This movie is just really. Stock full of fantastic actors. Morgan Freeman's running around here. I know. We have Schreiber's got a small role. This movie's stocked. Yeah. God, I love I love the cast. Yeah. We jump to Iraq. They are unearthing a bomb that hasn't gone off. Wonder what bomb that is. And they pull out the Syrian scrappers. They pull out this bomb. And as they have it up, they drop it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they both like freeze for a moment. And then, like, nothing happens. They let out the sigh of relief. It's a legitimate, like, funny moment in, like, a spy thriller. And I really appreciate that. It was well set up in, in that. Like, it's like I thought it was just a, a buy the never see and they drop it. It was a nice little touch of comedy. The movie doesn't do that a lot. I just wanted to mention it there. It actually, like, the first time I saw it, I chuckled. It, it got a big laugh in the theater back in the day. We get a Russian guy who drops dead. I think we get he's... a Russian guy who drops dead. Yeah. President, the, the former that, president. That's the pres- well, he was the president at when, he, when he, he stepped. Dead. When he hits the ground, he is no longer the president. Yeah. So, and this is a fun little sequence. I do want to mention, you skipped right over the introduction of our lead character. So, Jack Ryan is in the CIA. And we see him as a complete analyst. He is down in the dregs with these guys. And they are over there analyzing the Russian president and talking shit about him. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun little scene where they're going back and forth because they're, they're talking about the president looks unhealthy and he looks a little bit fatter. And they're talking about what mistresses he might be sleeping with, the gossip and stuff that is important to these espionage guys. It does set up a nice pattern of who Jack Ryan really is, an analyst, which is something I like because we'll mention that in the next movie. That's a big problem. Once again, we see this little bit, this nice little setup, and we go right in there and the president complains that people are talking about how old and frail he looks in the media. And he says, I want people to talk about how healthy I look and falls over and dies. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the movie does have a little dark sense of humor to it. And this is another little instance where you get it, but we go past that pretty quickly, but it's another moment really worth mentioning. I just think it's one of the nice little things that adds up to something in this picture. Yeah. I didn't catch that. I, I didn't even write anything down. Yeah. You refer to him as some guy, some Russian homeboy. Yeah, well, they, that's all you get is he drops dead. Yeah. And he's, he's the, the former Russian president. Anyways, now we're with Jack Ryan and his girlfriend in bed, and they're messing around. And you get, uh, uh, you get a, a shot that I really like of their feet together. Yeah. 
I like that job. This is a sweet scene. They have good chemistry. Yeah. And I want to mention that because not all the Jack Ryans and Kathy's have chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Gates McFadden and Alan Baldwin doesn't matter. They have a scene together, so it's not that important. I don't think Krasinski and... Uh, Abby Cornish? Abby Cornish have any chemistry. No, I don't think so either. We'll see how in that goes. At least. In, we'll see how that goes in later seasons. But yeah, I, I, I really don't feel that at all at this point. Yeah, she's she's not... It's not very good. Yeah, no, she, she's not. But Moynihan is very good in this Moynihan part. Moynihan is good. It's not, there's not a whole lot really to it. There's not a ton for her to do. But what she has, she plays quite well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think she does a better job than, than Ben Affleck does in the role. You'll, you'll get to see how I rank the Cathy's the Kathy. later. Okay. We're going to talk about all the rankings later. Okay. So, but no, th- this is a good sequence. And I also like that there's beeper confusion, which is a very 90s thing. And now this is 2002, but you could still have beeper confusion back then. Kathy's a doctor. The beeper goes off. So they assume it's for Kathy. She makes the call and I assume calls somebody at the NSA accidentally gets it to Jack. And that's what starts to kick our plot into high gear. Mm-hmm. And it, once again, the plot's kicked into high gear by not Jack doing action stuff, but Jack correctly predicted that Nemiroff was most likely to be the successor to be president after this one that just passed away. And of course, since he's made president, Jack's all of a sudden getting a lot of calls to the CIA. And one of those calls is from Director Cabot. Yes, we finally get to meet Morgan Freeman's character, William Cabot. And he is being drilled by some some politicians about Russia. Yeah, they are fucking him in the ass about it. Yeah. This is, so this is what he goes and gets Jack Ryan for. He wants his input before going into this meeting. And this is a fun little setup too, because he's talking about meeting with these people and they go into this room and like the glass immediately fogs up and becomes opaque the second they enter. Like this is some real top secret shit. And I enjoy that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy some spy that. Shit. And the, the real moment that I love in the movie and probably Ben Affleck's best moment of acting is they're talking about Nemirov as a, I really hope I'm saying his name right. If I'm not, I'm real sorry. Guys. I think that's person. right. But they're talking about Nemirov as like a hardliner, an extremist. That he, he wants to wipe out the Chechnyans and, and any of the other states that have separated from the Soviet Union. Sound familiar? Jack Ryan knows that's not true. That's Jack Ryan's whole imperative throughout this whole film is that Nemirov is a reasonable man. Not everybody feels that way. But as this goes on, the senator accuses Nemirov of this. He leans into Morgan Freeman, a cabotier, and is like, listen, that's not true. And I can tell you why. I know Nemirov. He's not a killer. And Morgan Freeman responds like, if I wanted you to say something, I would have asked you to. Right. Yeah. And like Ben Affleck immediately dies inside. <laughs> he plays it perfectly. He shuts his eyes and is like, fuck, what did I just do that for? Yeah. It's a great little moment between these two characters. And it really does lend to their relationship. They have a solid mental relationship, which is not necessarily there in the other movies. And that I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. Because you don't really get that between James Earl Jones and, and Harrison Ford. Yeah. Because they're, they, you know, they're, they're both a little bit older. Jack doesn't need a mentor. He needs a friend. Affleck has good chemistry with Morgan Freeman. Yeah. We go to Kathy, and she's at, she's, we discover that she's a surgeon at the hospital, and she's gossiping with a coworker. I think she's supposed to be, in the books, she's supposed to be an ophthalmic surgeon, which was somebody who operates on the eyes. Uh, eyes of, uh, yeah, pediatric. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She specializes on children's eyes. Yeah. That is the books. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, even in the little bit I read from Hunt for October mentions that. Yeah. So, yeah. And the second you met her, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. 100% right. That is what she specializes in and what she's trained for. We meet Olsen, who buys a son, uh, who buys a son off this guy. I think that's what's happening. Okay. So, we, 
Why is the sun off the sky? So what happens here is the nuclear material being discovered by Olsen, who is working for our evil neo-Nazis. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a nice little sequence, too. By the sets, up, sets him up to be a real bastard. So he finds this priceless nuclear bomb, and he tells the guy who's got it that it's fucking worthless. And he's like, but listen, I'll give you 400 bucks, you know, just, just as a favor to you. So he takes this bomb off of him, and I think he sells it for $50 million to Dressler. Who I think we skipped over Dressler's introduction earlier. We could have. Yeah, no, we did. <laughs> so Dressler is, uh, he's the head of the neo-Nazi group. Okay. And he's our bad guy, basically. He just sits. Now, Dressler's not going to do a whole lot in this movie. He's just going to sit in the shadows and twiddle his fingers like Mr. Burns. Yeah, I didn't even write yeah, it. He, yeah, well, like I said, he is a truly insignificant bad guy. But you will see that a lot in these Tom Clancy or Jack Ryan novels of someone pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. And that's all he is. There are other people on the ground. And it's a weird thing about the movie is there's not a real bad guy, if you think about it. There's a dilemma and a problem, but not a bad guy, correct? I don't know. He would be the bad guy. He's... Well, th- well, that's what I'm saying. He's barely in the film. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying, as a presence, as a bad guy, he's barely in it. He just kind of hangs back and really just sets the plot into motion for us. And that's about it, really. I did want to mention that as sort of a criticism of the film. Dressler, I, name a character trait about him other than loving Nazis. Yeah, I, I didn't. He wasn't in the movie very much. Yeah, and that's it. He, he loves not. He gives, we get introduced to him giving a speech about the, the world's fucked, and it does a great shot where they twirl all the way around the room and they zoom in on the back of his watch to show a swastika. Mm-hmm. So we know he's a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's about all the characters set up that, that we get for this. But yes, Olsen does sell the bomb to Dressler for a huge profit. William Cavett and uh, Jack Ryan have a nice moment. They have pretty good chemistry, which we discussed earlier. Jack has to cancel his date with Kathy. And you guys heard a little bit of this earlier in the trailer. This is one of the better jokes in the movie as well. Uh, and it does work well. It plays off the chemistry of all three actors. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman, too. I, I think it works really nicely. It, do, it does set up their relationship. Almost makes me wish there was more of their relationship in this movie. But this movie already has a lot going on, so it doesn't need more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just love that moment that they had. Well, it's one of the things I, I'll talk. Well, I could mention it now. I wish this would have had at least one more opportunity with this cast. Yeah, like I, w- I would have liked to have seen a- another film from them. You know, I'd like to see Affleck get a chance to grow in the role. He's not fantastic here, but he could have got better. And and Moynihan and him had great chemistry, so that's a, a real missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, because that's not always the case with the Jack Ryan's. Very true. And the Kathys, Jack and Cabot meet with the Russians. Yeah, so they go to the Kremlin to meet with Nemirov, who's doing his. Uh, I-, I guess when you become the president, you got to get your headshots taken, right? Yeah, and that's what he's there doing. He's getting those headshots taken. And he has a little bit of sparring back and forth. There's a fun little sequence with Jack Ryan, who wrote a report on him that Nemiroff read. And Nemiroff is upset because he kind of basically called him a slut. He said that he had many girlfriends throughout college. And he was like, I met my wife in the second year of university. And he's like, I meant before that. I just like that you would make a random assumption about somebody, never assuming that random person would ever read it and that you would ever meet that person to have to answer for yeah. that accusation. It's a, it's a great scene that an analyst would be into. And, and I, I think Affleck really plays it perfectly. He's great at all this, oh, shucks, I don't know where I am kind of stuff for Jack Ryan. It's the confidence later on I think he's a little bit lacking. But in all this stuff, comedically, he's really perfect. And it just works. Another scene that's good. Yeah. Ryan and Cabot end up heading to an old Russian science lab where Russians are, where actually the first Russian atomic bomb was made. Yeah, it's a really cool scene when Cabot walks in and he talks about how badly they wanted to be inside the facility and how many agents he lost trying to spy inside here. And there they are now just getting to inspect it. Yeah. It's part of the deal. 
And it lets you know how much times have changed, which is an important thing about how they covered this book, because obviously this book was probably written during the Cold War, so it was probably went a little bit differently. So that's something they have to adapt over time. Something you think about with Jack Ryan, and we'll talk about it later with the show, is a lot of those stories don't work anymore because the Cold War's been over since we were kids. Yeah. So, but that, that's one element that I think they updated the story and did a really good job with it. But they go through this bomb facility, and Jack Ryan immediately notices that three scientists are missing. Yeah, one was killed recently. One is on vacation and one is out sick. And that's what this guy tells him. Yeah, exactly. And when they leave, what I love is Jack Ryan immediately is like, wow, yeah, had an answer already prepared for me. Mm -hmm. So Jack's immediately suspicious and they do leave the facility. Jack discovers that these, if you were going to kidnap any three Russian scientists to build a bomb, these would be the three guys to kidnap. And then Cabot is able to discover that from his Russian contact, his secret Russian contact, that that excuse that they were given earlier was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then I get all excited because Lee Shriver shows up and I just love him. Yeah, yeah. He's John Clark. Yeah, they, they get off the plane. He's playing John Clark this time. That was Willem Dafoe in the previous film. And now it's Liev or Lev. Uh, we just saw him last night, on ins- uh, not inside the NFL, on um, Hard Knocks in one of the weirdest scenes ever where he helicoptered into a Jets practice for no reason. Yeah. Only because he's the narrator of the show. Listen, I'll, I'll watch Lee F. Schreiber any way I can. He's good here, and he's met by Cabot, and basically, go find the scientist. Find out what the fuck happened to him. Mm-hmm. That's his job. And because he gets sent off, he's not able to go to the White House Correspondence Dinner, and Cabot gives his tickets to Jack. Yeah. Yeah, he has to go up and ask for him for John Clark. That's Cabot's peace offering for the little prank with his girlfriend. Well, while Jack Ryan is at the White House Correspondents' Dinner with his lady love. And she's loving it, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is like like smiling and laughing. Of course. Yeah. She's like, the White she, House oh, she even says, like, I got a hotel room for later. Like, Jack is, Jack is in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she is forgiven. And everyone's phone starts to go off. This is the cool stuff that I really like in these government movies or these disaster pictures. When, like, all these important people get a page at one time, you know, some shit just went down. Yeah. And this scene captures it pretty well, I think. It was also a fun little bit of, of Cromwell being the president. You know, I never got his name, actually. I'm just going to refer to him as Cromwell president. President Cromwell. William Fowler? Fowler, you're right. I it think, is Fowler. Yeah, yeah it is I Fowler. I, I remember them saying that. Fowler's going to attack. We have to stop. I just refer to him as president. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that is his name, Fowler. You did a good job. The shit just got real is what I had in my yeah. hands, by the way. The Russians launched an attack of biological chemical bomb in a Chechnyan in Chechnya, which wipes out a ton of civilians in a 12 mile radius. Yeah. It causes massive, massive damage. And immediately the president, his advisors, his staff, they're all talking about who to blame, what to do. The question comes to Cabot, what he thinks and Cabot immediately turns to Jack. And there's a very cool shot of Jack looking around the room and seeing the Secretary of State, Defense, Interior, like seeing all these important guys and the goddamn president at the other end of the table. Mm-hmm. He has to stand up and make his assessment. He's sitting down and he doesn't believe that Nemirov would do this. Yeah. And everybody at the table kind of writes it off. But Jack can't let it go. He stands up and like, no, this is not the kind of guy Nemirov is. He wouldn't order an attack like this. He wouldn't kill innocent civilians on a whim like this. It's not the kind of guy he is. And he insists on it, even despite Cabot saying, like, listen, if you're unsure, you can say you're not sure. But he insists upon it. And because of that, it it does set up a lot more of the movie. Because as he is escorted out of the room, 
you see Nemirov come on TV and admit to doing the bombing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he takes he, credit for yeah, it. Yeah, and some guy even comes behind Jack, places his arm on his back and goes, yeah, better luck next time, buddy. So he looks like a fucking idiot. And then you immediately see Nemirov in there with his advisor, whose name I just forgot. And he's in there and they're immediately talking about, oh, fuck, I didn't do this, but we have to, we have to say I did. I don't want people to know that I'm not in charge of the military. He says it's better th than being impotent. Exactly, exactly. They agreed to disappear the Russian generals who were responsible and take full blame. So the viewer knows that Nemirov is not that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And Jack Ryan knows it, but nobody else does. And I think that's a great fact for the rest of the movie. That we're, we're in the same boat with Jack. The traitors killed the other traitor who has a guy finding the attack. What? <laughs> The traitors killed the other traitor who was a guy funding the attack. Okay, so I know what you meant by that. <laughs> so th this is one of the bigger problems with all this bad guy shit. Mm. So all the neo-Nazis are meeting and they're like, mm, yes, to evil gentlemen. Mm. So they're going over the plan and randomly like one of them is just like, you know what, guys? Not feeling it anymore. Yeah, just going to be hitting the old dusty trail. And so he gets up to leave. And he's immediately garroted or garroted. I think garroted. Garroted, yeah. yeah. He immediately is garroted by the largest uh, security guy in the room. And he's killed. And everybody kind of looks away. And, and the whole time I'm thinking like, why would you say anything? Why wouldn't you just be like, yes, let's go along with our evil plot. And immediately go to Interpol or whoever he would go to in that situation. Yeah. And tell them what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> instead of admitting to it in a room full of conspirators who think you're going to rat them out. It was a really odd thing to see. I mean, maybe it made more sense in the book, but it's, it's in a movie. It's maybe the dumbest scene in this flick. That's exactly what I said. Oh, really? The traitors killed the other traitor who was a guy funding the attack. <laughs> yes. The traitor killed the traitor who was the guy funding the attack. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Uh, uh. John Clark goes to visit an old Russian woman in the hospital. Oh, does he know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so John Clark is, is following up all the leads at this point. One of the Russian scientists, he discovers his mother in a nursing home, and he's able to get a phone number to trace. And this leads them to their next step in their investigation. Some scientists look to be building a bomb, and there's some ominous music playing. Yeah, yeah. Before this, we get Cabot and Jack talking about, we think they could be making a bomb, and we get a, a humorous cut to them just putting nuclear material in there. There's a guy who... Fan who Pardon me. There's a guy who manhandles the plutonium. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, it's still warm. Like, do you remember that? Yeah. He's like, I can still feel the warmth coming off of it. And we watched that video with that nuclear engineer who said that it would indeed be warm to the touch. Mm -hmm. The nuclear material coming off. I wouldn't want to handle any of that without any gloves or some lead something. I'd lick that thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, so they, they, they are indeed working on a bomb there. Cabot and Ryan meet. Cabot wants him to meet with Clark to give him a card of, of some sort. So he has like a little. So he goes off to meet. Basically, he, he has to go into the field, which is something Jack Ryan didn't want to do. Yes. He gets called out of a, a date with Kathy again. And he is informed that he has to go and meet with uh, John Clark. And when he's with John Clark, they, there's a bit of Palm Pilot product placement in this scene. Mm -hmm. As they go through all the plans and everything, they, they take great effort to show off the Palm Pilot, which I laugh at. You know, they, they run, there's a scene Lethal Weapon where somebody pulls out like a giant brick phone and they're like, oh my God, look at that tech. You like, don't remember so them sticking something in that? Yeah, just an SD card. So they put in the SD card, which, which just, it just has the plans on it. And they, they have the layout of the facility. And so they go in 
Well, Jack doesn't want to go in, actually, but Clark forces him to go in, basically. There's a fun scene of Jack just bouncing on the water up and down and like almost getting seasick as John Clark's teasing him about not being able to go to the White House Correspondence Dinner. Mm-hmm. And they get all the way uh, to the land, and, and Jack has to look over the boat. Yep. So they go into the facility. John Clark walks in, and he discovers that it's empty, except for dead Russian scientists. Yeah, there's three of them. Yeah, he's able to discover that they're working on something. Whatever it is, they're gone, they're wrapped up, and they killed the guys who, were, who they didn't need anymore. Right. He comes out, and the thing I like about this whole sequence is that John Clark plays this as cool as a cucumber. He's just talking like he's a lost tourist. He's out of place. He didn't mean to get here. Where am I? And he keeps shining his light in the officer's eyes mm-hmm. like over and over again. They keep telling him, but he makes it clear he doesn't understand English. And these soldiers give him a lot of leeway. So he goes to put down the light slowly. And as he flips off the light, the soldiers can see he's got his gun pointed at him. It's a pretty cool move. It's, sw- it's, it's smooth as fuck. I love it. Mm-hmm. So he's got his gun on right as Jack Ryan realizes that he's in danger. So he followed the guards in and he reveals that he's back there. And John Clark is, is pretty much going to kill these two guys. And Jack Ryan uses his Ukrainian to completely de-escalate the situation and save these two guys' lives, pretty much. He convinces them to drop their arms so they can tie them up and incapacitate them and leave. Because really, John Clark was going to kill the both of them. Because yeah. guess what John Clark says? Shoot them. And, and Jack Ryan won't kill an innocent. Like, that, those soldiers didn't deserve that. They're just doing their job. Right. They, did, they don't deserve that. So that, that's always the way Ryan feels about it. It doesn't have to be an American soldier. He doesn't want any lives to be lost. It don't have to be. He's not a killer. John Clark is. We move on to Dressler's big speech about Russia and America and their fight for each other. Yeah, that's pretty much. The big thing is, is you know, you don't fight Russia or America. You make America fight Russia. Yeah. You know, that's the big takeaway you know, from this whole speech. But it, it's more the boring bad guy shit. Then we have a truly unrealistic scene where the president is at a football game and he gets a call from Jack Ryan that there's a bomb in play. Now he's in the stadium surrounded by people and you're telling me there's not a security risk? There was one when you walked in the damn stadium. Normally a president would probably have like a box. Yeah, yeah. The the president probably would have uh, some sort of box or anything like that. So he, you know, can be shot at, I suppose. I mean, he's, he's like a sitting duck. Yeah, he's just out there in the open. I don't necessarily have a, a problem with the president being out there. I'm trying to think, because I mean, anytime I've seen the president recently, they would have been in there. But I just had to remember this movie was made before 9-11. Yeah, but still, I would, you would never put the president in a bad situation. Like I, I don't know. I, don't, I feel I should Google like Bill Clinton at the World Series or something like that to see if he ever sat out in the open. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, because would would you prefer better seats or security? You know, I, you, the president would make that call, obviously. So you would get a box. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, we have what is the movie's signature scene? Before that, when Dressler was talking, this was intercut with the bomb being set up somewhere. Right. Yes. You see it put into a cigarette machine, and and the shady guy drops it off somewhere. You don't know where it is, and it cuts to. But just, it's in the stadium somewhere. Well, you don't know that. I thought they had a casino. Nope. No, you have no idea where that is. Oh, okay. Yeah, they don't tell you anything. Hmm. But, I mean, you, you could assume, I suppose. I mean, the idea is you're supposed to be surprised by it. But, I mean, we'll do this. So, anyway, what we have here is a real master class attention. I love this scene. I mm-hmm. really do. We have all of our pieces in play. The president out in the open in danger. 
Cabot having a good time enjoying the game, and Jack Ryan on a helicopter in pursuit, desperately trying to get a hold of Cabot. But the stadium's so loud he can't hear him. He's trying to talk to him on the phone. Cabot can barely hear him. He's just like, the bomb is in play! You know, over and over, just screaming. And right as he's about to hang up the phone, he's tired of dealing with the noise. He can't figure out where the bomb is. It just comes in clear. Baltimore. And the look on Freeman's face is great. He stands up and right behind him, out of focus, welcome to Baltimore Stadium. Yeah. And so this is when it dawns on the audience. And my favorite part president's is, in danger. is right here. He doesn't look at the president. He doesn't think about himself. Cabot, we see his POV. He sees innocent person all after the innocent person. There's what? Like, what, 40 shots in this little sequence of innocent people all over the place. He's so- the booze and the cheers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but no, they're, they're playing the game at that point. Because the football players look out the field going, the fuck was that? Like, everybody looks down at the yeah, president I running out. I too. Yeah, but it'd be the only situation where it wouldn't create a panic because the game would keep going. So people would be like, eh, whatever, and just watch the game. Mm-hmm. But in any other situation, you could freak the fuck out if the president ran out of someplace really quickly. You didn't hear a shot <laughs> and, and didn't, Yeah, and didn't, didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. So they take off, you know, Jack Ryan's still in the plane. I mean, sorry, we're still in the helicopter. And once they leave, we get this serene shot overhead of Baltimore helicopter shot. And it's just like four seconds, just peaceful noise, nothing. Just the sound of the wind. We cut to Kathy doing her bit in the hospital. She says a couple lines and then boom, like she has laid out the windows are blown out. The bomb goes off, mm-hmm. which I, like I said, surprised me back in the theater in 2002. It surprised me. Yeah. Cause you just, you just don't think that's really going to be an option, but it lays waste the city. Jack Ryan crashes. The president's motorcade is overturned. Everybody in the stadium is vaporized. Yeah. There would be nothing be left. Nothing left. Nothing Not left. even rock. They wouldn't have known anything. Yeah. yeah. There's a mushroom cloud over a major American city. That's the site. Jack Ryan crawls out of the helicopter. He's, and this he's is broken what I and mean. bruised, and he sees that. And that, that, yeah, exactly. That's a terrifying sight to Americans. It's, it's in gritty. It's yeah. a gritty movie. Yeah. That's a tough, realistic implication of terrorism. The president barely makes it out of the explosion. The Marines pick him up, get him out of the, the car that he's in, that yeah, he's kind of trapped in. Yeah, the military, just, they're on there immediately mm-hmm. to get the president out, who's generally okay. The Secret Service did their job, but Cabot's mortally wounded. Yeah. Cabot, yeah, Cabot can barely get off the ground. You know, they have to put him on a gurney. Yeah. A stretcher and get him out of there. He's in, he's in bad shape. Jack Ryan doesn't think that the attack was the Russians, and he's going to prove it. Yeah, and this is now we get to see inside baseball here with, with the Russians as well, because Nemirov has woke up. And I want you to know, when I, when I use the, the voice typing, it, it changed Nemirov to Nimrod every time. <laughs> so Nimrod, Nemirov is told, and immediately he's like, oh, shit. Because obviously, if there's been a mysterious attack, a nuclear attack on, on Americans, Russia's probably going to be the first, yeah. first country to get blamed. So this throws everything in our third act into high gear. Yeah, that the, the president is also pissed. He's very tired of his cruise shit. He's yelling at this point at everybody. Yeah, yeah. This is, but this is the, the sort of tension and the intrigue that we, we all sort of talk about, what you want to see in this kind of spy-level thriller. These are two world leaders going back and forth about nuclear annihilation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And Jack Ryan is in the middle trying to shut all of this down. And I think everything from the bomb blast on is really masterfully played. I really do. I was impressed again watching it, how well the film unfolded after these events. Mm -hmm. So we have the president on Air Force One, and they're trading messages back and forth. 
Like the Russians are trying to calm the situation down and the president doesn't want to appear too aggressive. So, and this is all, it's amazing how much of this situation is revealed. It's just posturing by both nations, Mm -hmm. which I really like that we, we see that. Some planes bomb an American aircraft carrier. So the attack is still happening. Yeah. So Dressler's plan is still going into motion. Yeah. He lets a Russian, one of his Russian plants know, and they attack an aircraft carrier and almost sink it, but they basically cripple it. And I like it right before the attack, the, the Russian general like gets in his car and hauls ass out of there. <laughs> it's made my favorite part of that whole sequence. But yeah, so this escalates things even again. Yeah, the president's even more pissed. So Jack's on the ground, still trying to find out you know, where the bomb came from. He meets with the nuclear assessment team, and they let him know that whatever nuclear material was in the bomb, it's American-made. So that automatically lets him know that he has to find out what's going on because it's not Russian. That, that doesn't make any sense. This is a, a hidden bomb meant to make it look like that. He's already on the case, so he has to try to find Cabot, and he does. And this is a sad-ass scene, right? Yeah. He finds Cabot, and, and Cabot is just a few moments away from death. Jack doesn't realize it. You know, He's only concerned about saving, saving the country. He comes down to ask him about it, and he realizes pretty quickly that Cabot doesn't care. Cabot just asks about his wife, and he's not able to get a hold of her. And you know, before Cabot goes, he asks Ryan about his girlfriend. And it's a well-played by Affleck. Like, I, I don't know. And, like, I can't worry about that now. You know, he asks him again. And he gives him one name, Spinnaker. He says, you have to, you know, Spinnaker. He just tells him that. And so Jack grabs the, his Palm Pilot, another product promotion for that, and his ID card, and gets out of there, leaves Cabot with his jacket over him. And it, it's a sad and affecting scene, at least I think it is. Yeah. You know, because you, you walk throughout that hospital tent, people are, are scarred and burned. You know, you see that when they cut back to Kathy, too. People are, are in terrible shape from the bomb. Mm-hmm. You know, real devastation. These, these kind of things, they... They, they, you know, they didn't play great from the American psyche then, you know. Yeah, I'm listening to a podcast on um, the Hiroshima mom. Yeah, yeah. And it's like bringing me back to a lot of that podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We, we talked a little bit about that the other day about the kind of devastation from that. It'd be real similar with that kind of level of small, dirty bomb. Very similar. Yeah, they, they're about to get to the, all the effects of the bomb. So I'm going to have that to look forward to when I have work tomorrow. Yeah, good. Good job. <laughs> so Jack runs out of there. He commandeers some guy's truck and he's driving out of there and he's trying to text Spinnaker at the same time. By the way, trying to text is not like texting now. He's using a stylus to try to type on a digital keyboard on a very small screen while driving and he crashes the truck almost immediately, he right? Spazzes yeah, yeah. Uh, he just tries to avoid a truck and he ends up crashing into some building and he can't get the car started again. But he's able to get a hold of Spinnaker and find out that the bomb was given to the Israelis. So now he knows where the bomb was and where they might've gotten it from. The president decides to attack Russia. Yes. And the Russians are freaking out. Yeah. The F-16s are headed there with smart bombs. They're going to take out the air force base that took out their carrier. Mm-hmm. We find out Kathy is still alive. She is barely. And she's still treating people just like Jack. She's still fighting a good fight, even though they're deep shit. Jack is still insistent and believes that the attacks were the Russians, were not the Russians. Yeah, he calls up Air Force One. He's finally able to get through. Sadly for him, he gets to talk to Defense Secretary Becker, who was like, oh, hey, you Nemirov sympathizer. Great job, jackass. And, you know, put it in your report. And, and it hangs up the phone on him. So that's another dead end for Jack. He's yeah. screwed on that. He's just trying to reach the president. 
John Clark, meanwhile, talks to the guy that found the bomb in the beginning. He's real sick. Yeah, him and his son. His son has died of radiation poisoning already, correct? Mm-hmm. And he is just about to die. And it's a nice... John Clark is not a monster. That's what I like about this scene. Like, he takes a moment to comfort that dying man before he gives him the name of, of Olsen. Yeah. And Olsen is what it basically lets this whole thing get put together. Mm-hmm. So as this man dies, we cut back to the Russian facility. We cut back to the Kremlin, pardon me. And we're having a scene where Nemirov is debating nuking Colorado Springs, right? Yeah. Yeah, of all the places. We've been to Colorado Springs. And you know, he's like, oh, it's only, it's only like maybe like 100,000 people there. And, and of course, it, like everyone's in there going like, man, you can't nuke some American city. What are you talking about? Like the second that happens, the world's over. But you know, they're going back and forth with this. But that was one of the ideas I thought that really stuck out of my mind a lot. Yeah. So the Americans are also going to answer back by they're launching their stealth fighters to try to take out like two thirds of the Russian nuclear warheads. But the problem is that'll leave a little over a third, as you might guess. So it does neuter them, but it still leaves us open to annihilation, just not annihilated as hard, I guess. But it's the best plan they got. Jack Ryan stumbles on a dead guy and then someone comes right up behind him and tries to strangle him. Yeah. And then a fight ensues. Yeah, Jack follows the evidence. Um, the guy who planted the bomb, he's able to get his name, put all the evidence together. He heads over there, finds him dead. And uh, the garroter returns to try to garrot like, once again. But he's unsuccessful because, you know, Jack has a, a pretty nice fight scene with him. Basically fucks him up with, a, I think, a wrench. Yeah. A wrench or like a steel pipe. And then he starts choking him out, Jack Bauer style, with a chain. And he's just like, give me the name. You know, who's responsible for this? Who's responsible? And the police interrupt him before he can yeah. actually get the confession out of him. But uh, that's what it leads to. So it's a little bit of action, Jack. So that was nice to see in this movie. He fought like an analyst. I like that. They carry that throughout the film. He's not an action hero. Yeah. Which I enjoy. We uh, get both presidents being handed launch codes. Yeah, and it, I love how these these two back and forths of Air Force One and the Kremlin they mirror each other, like they're they're in these same steps. You know, yeah. I mean, we are. You know, I mean that that's where it is right now. You know, the stealth bombers are up. The Russians escalate. They're they're going to try to shoot down these guys, and you know the Americans have to find a way to attack. Becker has a goddamn heart attack in the middle of Air Force One as they bring the nuclear launch codes in. Right, Becker. Yeah. Becker dies. Is he not? We never see him. I again. don't know. I'm counting him as dead. He dies. Killed by Jack Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that, that death's on Nemirov's hands, damn it. So we, we're literally in the 11th hour. Yeah. As Jack Ryan has, the police let him take a helicopter. He's coming right back into Langley. He tries to convince the general to send some info to the president, and he does. He's given him regulation. If you shut me out, your family and 25 million other families will be dead in less than an hour. Yeah. That's the line that convinces him. And he's not able to get a hold of the president. Instead, they come up with something else. This whole time, the president and the president of America and Russia have been communicating via, uh, via a line that cannot be cut for diplomatic reasons. Yeah. So Jack Ryan basically gets on the line and talks to Nemirov directly. And this is a pretty interesting scene because he basically lays out the entire plot. You know, that Olsen bought this bomb. Dressler is responsible for this entire thing. He did it to make it look like you did it, so we would attack you and kill everybody. And you have to stand down. It's the only way we'll back off. And there's a moment when Nimrov's like, what assurances do I have that your president do the same? They cut back to Jack. None. And everybody, 
everybody on the Russian side is like, don't do it. It's CIA. He's a traitor. And one homeboy walks right up behind him and says, like, maybe you should hear him out. Yeah. Maybe you should hear him yeah, out. It's a pretty it, cool scene. Yeah, it's his closest advisor, Grushkov. Uh, that's who it is. Grushkov is his closest advisor. And so they get a message back after Jack has been cut off by the by the Americans. He can't respond. And it says, we are standing down. We hope you will follow suit. And just like that, Jack Ryan saved the world. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so Jack Ryan saves the day. Cooler heads prevailed. Jack Ryan gets through to everybody. Yeah, he, he does. It works out about as well as it can. He goes and finds Kathy. They're both exhausted and they just share a kiss. Nice. And then we get a scene where the bad guy's car gets blown up. Yeah, so it, it's a Tom Clancy film. It's over. You know what that means. Shady characters get the shit killed out of them. Right? All these Clancy movies end this way. Yeah. All these guys who pull the strings, they get fucking gone. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. We have just a montage of everybody who was involved getting chased through the snow or getting shot in their house or, or garroted once again. And I do like, what's his face? His death where his henchman goes out there to turn on the car and tell him the car bomb doesn't work. He gets in the car, starts the lighters like, oh, shit. Yeah. It kills him. And that, that's, a, that's a Gushkov special because he's watching. Because you see like someone looking through a window the whole time and it cuts back to him as the car explodes with a smile on his face. Yeah. You know, and, and earlier we got introduced to that character and he was like the old KGB guy. Tough, strong, but nobody will get rid of him because he knows where the bodies are buried. But at the end of the day, the homeboy kept the country together. Mm-hmm. You know, we turned out he's not a force for evil. He's a force for good. And we find that out in the movie's final sequence, right? Yeah. We see Nemirov and President Howell together. They're just giving a speech right there in front of the White House. And we pull the camera back and see Kathy and Jack eating and enjoying a nice little picnic. Yeah. And Gushkov comes up, up to them. And wishes them a happy anniversary, wishes them a happy engagement, which they haven't even announced. And sort of reveals himself as the mole that Cabot talked to inside of Russia for many, many years. Who helped do what he did in this instance. Make sure the world didn't end by idiots or potheads. Yeah. That smarter, cooler heads prevailed in this movie. And I, I like that. But also something I, I don't like. And that is the movie's wrapped up a nice little bow. Baltimore's destroyed. I know. And that, that's a, a tough thing. to, And a lot of critics mention that in their reviews. And that's unfair because of 9-11. It's just something I, I note now because I remember hearing that. But, you know, that, that's not necessarily what the movie was about. The movie addresses that they're rebuilding, you know, and everything like that. But that, that's it, really. So it's, it's a bit of an odd thing. We would rebuild, but it would, Certainly. It would, take, it would take its toll. Yeah, definitely. Just like 9-11 did. Yeah. All right. Here's some facts for you. Director Phil Alden... Robinson changed the villains from Islamic extremists to neo-Nazis. This was done because prior to 9-11 attacks, he did not believe Arab terrorists could plausibly accomplish all that yep. was necessary for the plot to work. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely did. That, that, that's 100%. The, people believe that the story was changed because of 9-11. The movie was shot before. Yeah, he did it because he just didn't give Muslim terrorists enough credit. After 9-11, the production staff had to review how to present the movie to the public. Yeah, I can imagine they did. This was one of those movies that had to be repackaged and try to figure out how the hell they were going to sell it. I like this one. The spray can that John Clark uses to cut through the chain link fence. Because you remember he's he sprays something on this chain link fence in a circle and it yeah. just like immediately just Like he kicks it and weakens it. Yeah, it. it goes in. It breaks. That's supposed to be real live CIA chemical spray known as ice piss. Oh. When asked if a real can of ice piss was acquired for the scene, 
the technical advisor said, I don't want to go to prison. (laughs) Movie magic, baby. Movie magic. Mm -hmm. When Ben Affleck first arrived on set, he told the director, nice working with you again. Robinson said, what do you mean, again? Affleck explained that when Robinson was filming the scene in Boston's Fenway Park for Field of Dreams, he and Matt Damon were amongst the extras. Oh, wow. That's, that's cool. Yeah. That's super cool. And that makes sense. Those guys are hardcore, hardcore uh, Red Sox fans. Yeah. Tom Clancy's favorite Jack Ryan is Ben Affleck. He's not bad, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I have some issues with him, but he's not bad at all in this role. Ben Affleck is both the youngest at 29 and the tallest at six foot three and a half yeah, to play Jack Ryan. Yeah, and I've talked about this with him as Batman. He's such an imposing looking guy. He really is. Like, Ben Affleck is a big, big motherfucker. And I mean, it really does help him look more imposing. Even though in this movie, they don't make him look very imposing at all. Mm-hmm. I like this movie. I-, I feel like this is an eight for me. I liked it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think Affleck could have been stronger, but once again, I, I think he could have grown into that role. I think the actor he is now could do a great job with an older Jack Ryan. And I think given a bit more time and maybe a, another movie, I think he certainly could have matured into the part. I'm going to give it a seven because I don't like Ben Affleck. Very well. Very well. Yeah. This is cornerback. I have a situation. Somebody tried to kill me. Work okay? Uh, Shadow Recruit is the weird lost movie in the Tom Clancy film and television franchise. Yeah. Why don't you sit down? So I told you before, I listened to a couple podcasts and they were like, no, only only three guys played Jack Ryan besides the new show. And someone was like, no, no, there was another movie, guys. I saw in theaters. And and it's just the way it is. This this is one of those movies that comes in and has like no cultural relevancy or impact. Yeah. And the reason that I hold it against this movie, because that's neither here nor there, you know is because the level of talent involved in this movie is pretty amazing, right? It's casted really well. Yeah, you have Chris Pine, uh, who really is probably one of the unluckiest leading men there has ever been in Hollywood. Yeah. He just can't catch a break, but he's great here. And then you have Keira Knightley, who is an Oscar nominee. And then you have Kenneth Branagh, who is another Oscar nominee, who is acting and directing this film as well, coming off another action movie, Thor. And this thing just kind of clanks around. Mm-hmm. And doesn't really make itself feel like a Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan story, which is probably yeah. its biggest sin. It's not a very good movie. No, I mean, it, it's, I think it's mediocre at best watchable. But I mean, once again, I mean, that's not particularly high praise at this point. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and talk about it because I hate the opening. Yeah, we, we get introduced to Chris Pine, who plays Jack Ryan. And Jack Ryan is sitting on a bench in at college. Yeah, he's he's laying down on a bench just chilling out with some uh, I don't know if they de-aged him or not a little bit or just gave him a weird haircut, but he looks a little odd. Yeah. He does look a little odd. They might have, they might have smoothed his skin out a bit to look 19. Yeah. He's a youngin. He's baby Jack Ryan. Little baby Chris Pine. Yeah. Everyone is watching there's this really clunky scene where everyone's watching the 9/11 attacks on the of the World Trade Center. Yeah, yeah. Chris Pine comes in and he's like, "So, dear Lord." So the last movie came a little bit too close after 9/11, mm-hmm. and that kind of rang hollow for critics in some ways. 
And this movie is a significant amount of time. Where this is what, 2013? hmm So you have over 10 years have passed since, since 9-11. And this feels like just the cringiest bit in the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like, oh, here's Jack Ryan's origin. He saw 9-11 and he became Jack Ryan. And I, I wanted to mention this because there's another movie that uh, I do like that has a very similar scene, and that's American Sniper. Mm-hmm. You have a very similar thing with, who's, who's leading that? Chris Kyle. Yeah, Chris Kyle. He, he comes home, played by Bradley Cooper, yeah. and they see 9-11, and he and his brother argue back and forth about what that means and serving your country. The thing about that scene is it's portrayed like a realistic conversation during that moment in time. Yeah. This is a one second clip to tie Jack Ryan to the greatest terrorist event that ever happened in our lives. Yeah. And it's cheap pandering. It's not very well done. And it's a classless from a surprisingly classy filmmaker like Kendall Brunner. This is a move that is truly beneath him. This is Bush League, I, mm-hmm. I guess is what like, like just trying to play at like who Jack Ryan is and tug on the heart to get your sympathies and stuff like that. And th- this scene is terrible, and the next scene isn't much better. No. We have Jack Ryan and two other recruits, two other Marines. Jack Ryan went to the Marines right after 9-11. He didn't, he didn't even go to class. Yeah. He went right to the recruiting office in London, apparently, because he, he was in London, and immediately joined the Marines. And he's in this helicopter, and he's having a debate back and forth with somebody about who's the best offensive tackle in football. Yeah, it's 18 months later. Yeah, 18 months later. So, yeah, he really did just run straight there. Mm-hmm. He's in a helicopter in Afghanistan, and a missile strikes the helicopter. And then there's a bunch of quick camera movements, which you can't focus on anything because the camera's moving so fast. Yeah, yeah. You know how, and, and once again, I, I wanted to compliment Kenneth Brunner as a director coming into this. I, I'd seen Belfast not too long ago, and I loved it, where he, he's fantastic. And that's his wheelhouse. And action movies are not that. A lot of quick cuts here makes the scene disorienting. Yeah, it's very disorienting. I I understand it's a a helicopter going down. It's supposed to be disorienting, but it's not supposed to be that disorienting. Yeah, for us. Yeah, like it just, it it doesn't really, there's nothing we haven't seen in a helicopter crash that other directors haven't done a thousand times before. Yeah. So it's just more on the pile, except maybe a slightly more nauseating than another director might do it. Um, not, Not exactly high praise, but I mean, it is what it is. And my issue comes when they land, or pardon me. The next scene, which is a continuation, is they're bringing Jack in, and he's completely torn up from the mm-hmm. crash. He's torn up, and they say he's got a broken back. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I think Jack Bow- Jack Bauer, Jack Ryan, I think is canon that he has a bad back. And when they wheel him in, they say, what about the two other pilots? Jack pulled him out with a broken back? I was like, all right, why not just say, like, wait a minute, let me reach for something. Oh, I'm sorry. I hit his 11-inch penis while on the way to check yeah. his wallet. Like, they just want to let you know this guy's the biggest badass that ever Yeah. Did, right? I was, that's, that's all I was thinking. Why not just mention his giant cock as well while you're at it so we all know he's the hero. <laughs> it just, it was a little too much early on. And we just, we had just seen Murder on the Nile, or, you know, that movie with yeah. Gal Gadot. I just <laughs> forgot the name of it, sorry. And... That movie, the way it introduced Kenneth Branagh's character was so clever and so smart. And I remember when I thought Branagh did a Jack Ryan movie, I was like, oh man, what a great way to show Jack's intelligence by showing him, you know, because in that movie, he sees the birds moving in that Nile movie and he knows like, oh wait, the winds are going this way. So 
we have to attack that way. Mm -hmm. And it, it shows his intelligence. He notices things other soldiers don't. And that's a cool little sequence. And we don't get anything like that for Jack Ryan. It's such a shame. Yeah. It really is. Like, you just waste of, of a really fantastic filmmaker that you just make him do just what is a, a sort of by-the-number spy script. Yeah. It's, but, it's unremarkable. Yeah. So this is our origin story because we have to have Jack Ryan in uh, physical therapy. So he yeah. meet Kathy. So he's at physical therapy, and this is where he meets Kathy. And Kathy's played by Kira Knightley. And she's the nurse in charge of care. So she works here for some reason. She doesn't do anything with optometry and pediatric medicine anymore for some reason. That's fine. They change that up. Maybe she'll go into it later. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But either way, she's, she is helping Jack. And then we meet Kevin Costner, and he plays Harper. Yeah, so Harper is going to be our stand-in for the mentor character. Yeah. Uh, previously played by Greer and James Earl Jones, and then Cabot and Morgan Freeman. He does fill a very, very similar role here in this film. Mm -hmm. so, but he does meet with, with Jack and sort of gives him that optimism that there's potential. He's read some of the stuff that he's done, and he knows the kid's smart. And that's exactly that's what you should do in a screenplay. You don't need to show anything. Just have characters tell us who how smart characters are, right? Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't show, tell. That's how the old cliche goes, right? <laughs> we, that's what we like, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this, movie. this movie's off to a terrible start. Yeah. It's very clunky. Yeah, it is. Jack Ryan asks Kathy out for dinner, and she basically tells him that she'll go to dinner with him if he's able to run to her. Some cheesy line. Yeah, she she holds him hostage, her patient. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is a kind of a cheesy thing. And then you see Jack Ryan start running. Yeah, yeah. The next thing you see him just kind of jogging. He's, and, he's healed pretty much. He's, he doesn't have much back issues after this opening sequence. And then Harper goes to try to recruit Jack Ryan. And then we have yet another jump in time. Mm -hmm. We go from... 18 months later to 10 years later. So Jack has spent 10 years undercover in this financial scheme, right? That's what we're led to believe. Yeah. So he has been working on this for, for 10, a full decade, which is a, a massive amount of time. Is it not for you to work on any investment, work on yeah. anything? Yeah. That's the first thing I thought. 10 years he's been on this? Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. The intelligence on it must be terrible. Yeah, so I know he had to go back to college and do other things, but that's still a solid decade of your life to try to bring this case to justice. They're at UN headquarters, and there's an oil pipeline that is under discussion with the Russians. Yeah. That's, that's a hot button point they're trying to hammer home. Yeah, yeah. As always, this is one of the key catalysts here, because, I mean... At least Tom Clancy's story is usually all about where the money comes in, because that's what the government really cares about. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of does get that part right, at least. So this pipeline is important in that respect. Jack Ryan goes to the movies where he meets another yes, spy, mm -hmm. another shadow, shadowy figure at the movie theater. Another person who was shadow recruited. Yeah. And then they ex he exchanges a file with him. Yeah. What the file is, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And it should be mentioned, since we're already here, this is now going to be, and since we'll talk about Krasinski in a little bit, we now have three different origins of Jack Ryan, right? Yes. We have his other first mission is Ben Affleck, this weird first mission doesn't fit into any canon, and I mean, Krasinski's works, but it is modernized. Yeah. Obviously, stories for Jack Ryan from the Cold War don't really work today. So it's I just, like Krasinski's. Yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, the way it's modernized is fine. I don't yeah, have an issue Yeah, I, I think that. it's done well. I think you could modernize some of the Tom Clancy stories, but that would just take more work yeah. and, and would cost money because you have to pay for them. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, another factor in it right there. I just wanted to mention that right now that we're in our second of three reboots of this character for his first mission. 
we get a scene where Kathy is back at the house and she she shares with Jack Ryan. So they're clearly married. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got married in the 10 years. And Jack Ryan is out running. And then they go to dinner. And then we get some boring exposition via the news. Yeah, you know how much I love news exposition. I, I just had to watch uh, some clips from Batman v Superman and I forgot how much Zack Snyder leaned on that in that movie. Yeah. And I don't always have a problem with if it's done organically, but it's not done organically in that movie. Like it's the newscasters are telling us information that we don't know. Yeah. And that we need to know. And, and we sort of, and it's just convenient, you know, for the plot to just kind of keep moving forward for characters to stay in the scene they're at, look up at a TV and go, Oh, that's good information. Now with that being known, <laughs> you know, and this movie does a similar thing mm-hmm. and it, it's not, it, it's not great. Before the dinner, there's a scene where Kathy finds a movie ticket stub. And she she's a little floored by it because she wasn't aware of this movie and why did he go see a movie by himself and all this other stuff. So she thinks he might be cheating on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because why, why would you go see a movie a second time and, and not say anything about it? Yeah. You know. So at dinner, um, Kathy questions him about the movie and if he's seen it. And he says, he kind of changes the subject. Yeah, I think he said he saw it with some friends while he was out and, and somewhere else. Mm. So. so she's testing him. Uh-huh. She wants to get to the bottom of the mystery. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, I mean, it, it is something that would certainly draw your suspicions. Mm-hmm. This is a sequence I like. It's something a character sees. No one tells us about it. Yeah. And then we meet our friend Kenneth Brunner, who plays Victor Sheravan. I think that's how he, spelled, he says his name. Victor Sheravan is not... Well played by Kenneth Branagh. Branagh. Branagh has a Russian accent that I might do. Da? Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not very good, the Russian accent, how you say? It's just, like, it's a Russian accent at parties, right? Uh-huh. For, from an experienced actor, it's not what we expect. No. He's it, over the top. He's just, yeah, he, he is. There's he that is. scene where I guess he's getting some diabetic medicine or something, yeah. and some guy's giving it to him. Yeah. And he does it wrong. <laughs> it hurts him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, he falls down and starts kicking the guy. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Brennan's overacting yeah. when he gets the light bulb scene. It was really over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the light yeah. bulb scene. The, the, the worst 24-ism I've ever seen in my life. Well, Brennan's doing his thing as Victor, and they tell Victor that he needs to chill. To chill. Just chill out, Let's man. Let's chill, homeboy. So you got, you got to chill out. What are they telling him to chill out about? Okay. It's financial dealings. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he's kind of doing whatever he wants at this point. Yeah. And this is what gets Jack involved in it later, too, because of these financial dealings, there's a lot of discrepancies, things that don't add up. Yeah. And, oh, we should mention Jack. <laughs> we should actually mention the plot of the film. Jack is undercover in the financial district. That's where, right. Yeah, where he, yeah, sorry. That, that's what he's shadow recruited to. And that's his specialty, I suppose. He follows the money. And, and that works with all the other movies at this point. He's an analyst. Yeah, I mean, he's an analyst. That's how, he, that's how he finds the Colombians and the Martin, the money that Harden had to him in Clear and Present Danger. He follows the cash. That does check out for this movie, but that is what he's in there. He's trying to find banks and other organizations that fund terrorist activities. And the Russian government is kind of leaving him out to dry. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Then we go back to Jack Ryan and Kathy where they get in a fight because she thinks he's having an affair because of the movie ticket. So we're back to the movie ticket and yeah. it's now reached home and they're pissed off at each other. Then we move to a scene where Jack Ryan is riding with a guy named MB and he's played by Nonzo Anozi. Nonzo Anozi. Good, good catch on the, getting the name, by the yeah. way. 
So he is, he's no longer in America, right? He set it out to, so they are at Victor's company or, or pardon me, that's where he's arrived to. So he can do his audit. Mm -hmm. So as Jack Ryan is setting up for this, he's accompanied by Victor's security. And then we have probably the most interesting action sequence of the film. Yeah. We have a pretty good fight scene, I think. I do like it. It's nothing special, but it is, a, I think, a well-done fight scene. You know, if I can I kind of ride the line. Like, it's nothing great, but it doesn't suck. Yeah. You know, I, I think it it does its job, and it has a nice little ending where he chokes him out, or drowns him in a tub. He tries to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Ryan is able to subdue him and drown his attacker in the tub. And You get this uh, scene where the maid thinks she hears something, but she turns off the, the vacuum and... She doesn't hear anything because that's when Jack Ryan's drowning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he drowns him in like... Like three inches of water? Yeah. Yeah, like but, yeah not but, a whole lot of water. Yeah, he just kind of just puts his face down in there. and which, It's a good scene because it would it would be hard to drown another man. And that and MB, he plays a big... Yeah, character. he's a big guy. Matter yeah. of fact, I've, I found that a little unrealistic when he had him pinned down like that when I was like, I don't think MB would have a problem lifting... A 200 pound Chris Pine. Yeah. Since he's six foot seven. But Chris Pine manages to. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, it does work. It does work. And after this, another, we have another strong sequence where he goes and calls Langley because he needs a body disposed of. Yeah. You know, these are the things that come up when you're a spy or secret agent. Sometimes, you know, someone's on to you and you have to kill a body and you're like, you're in a hotel in a foreign country. You don't know what the fuck to do to get rid of this thing. <laughs> exactly. What are you dumping down the laundry chute? So he has to have somebody come by and dispose of that. And he's desperate on the phone. I like that because he's like, I, I don't know. I don't know where to go. Yeah. I, I, I don't. And I she's don't. just doing her job. And she's telling like, you're breaking protocol, mm -hmm. you know, and eventually she has to stop and break protocol to calm him and help him, mm -hmm. you know, because she's like, this guy is flailing because this thing just happened. He's freaking out and he doesn't know what to do. And so she does give him the address and what to do and, and helps us propel ourselves further in the second act. He's supposed to stay there and wait for the phone to ring twice. And when the phone rings twice, he's supposed to leave inconspicuously. Yeah. And that's what happens. And then Kathy calls and she wants to meet up with him. Yeah, I like this. He's he's like freaking out from this whole adventure. Kathy calls and she's like, hey, what if I just head on out there? Uh, that's not a great idea. Uh, no, yeah, maybe maybe another time. Like Furthering the affair. Yeah, yeah. yeah that it, it, she it, thinks he's having. He's simply trying to save her life. And it really looks like he's getting some, some strange on the side. The last thing he says to her is have faith in him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, that doesn't. That would make me more more suspicious of you. Have faith in me. Yeah. It's like, just, why? Just, just have faith in me. What do you mean? Like, for what reason? What's going on? <laughs> then Jack Ryan goes to meet Harper, and Ryan tells Harper that they are in trouble due to the oil. Yeah, so Harper was the contact he was supposed to meet there. So mm -hmm. and that's good. He obviously trusts Harper, which is almost a missed opportunity that Harper doesn't betray or do anything really right yeah yeah as i was thinking that i was like oh harper's gonna set up for a big double cross in the third act and it doesn't happen i was like oh it's just a straight story yeah, whatever spoiler anyway yeah so they meet they have a quick little conversation and they talk a little bit more that the oil is the big deal that's pushing this entire situation to be volatile ryan's kind of upset at harper harper keeps saying he's an analyst or Ryan keeps saying he's an analyst and he doesn't really have any business doing this stuff. Yeah. And Harper's like, not anymore, buddy. You're in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is always one of the weird things about Jack Ryan is he always says, I'm an analyst when he was very decorated in the Marines. So it's not like he can't ever handle himself. 
then Jack Ryan goes back to the hotel room where he killed MB and the hotel is like fixed. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. They, There's like, he finds like what? One mistake a, at the sink? A grout. Yeah. It's not dry. <laughs> yeah, he finds like one mistake on the sink, but otherwise you'd never be able to tell the two men fought for their lives inside yeah. the place. Victor's out and about and Jack Ryan goes to meet Victor at his office. So this is a big deal because he meets a little bit with the CIA beforehand and they talk about what all they need. Mm-hmm. There's a base minimum of things that Jack's going to need to see in his audit and get this and get that. They give him a list and he heads right in to go meet Victor and Victor's like, oh, great. You're here for the audit. I sold the companies. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, basically. Yeah, And, and it's true. That that's a, it's a smart play because Jack doesn't have a play, right? J- Jack's only maneuver in this situation to continue talking with Victor is to ask him out to dinner. I do want to mention Where that. Where they're going to fuck. <laughs> no, he just asked him out to dinner. I do want to mention that I enjoyed the uh, set design of Victor's office. Oh, okay. I thought it matched what the the, the personality that he was supposed to be going yeah, for. Yeah, it does look like a, a, a. It's very spacious, and there's like one small desk in this minimal, big yeah, yeah. room. It's very minimalistic. It's cold. Everything's in black and brown. It does fit his character rather perfectly. Yeah, I thought it was. It's well done by the set design. Sure, sure, sure. You know, it's something to always note too. Good set design. You always forget about good set design a lot of the time, mm-hmm. right? especially when I. This isn't a '90s movie, but you look back at '90s movies. I I remark more because. They had to build it. Yeah. You know, now you just, you build a certain point and you let the CG finish it. Later. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't have to worry about that. I was watching some clips from Hollywood, uh, from uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights the other day. And I was sort of shocked. I was like, wow, they built that big ass castle. They just moved in the background. Oh, yeah, they had they to did. build that thing. There's no CG in 92. They're 93. They had to do it on their own. So that's one of the things I do appreciate. And that's a good catch on that. Yeah. Victor and Ryan have a pleasant enough conversation, but he won't let Ryan audit his finances. And he shows him why he can't touch him, basically. Mm -hmm. They invite each other to dinner. And Victor basically mentions, invite your girlfriend as well. And he's like, Jack Ryan's like, what do you mean girlfriend? And he's like, the girlfriend at your hotel room. The the one who just arrived today. Yeah. You will take her out to dinner. In Russia, dinner takes you out. See, I, I worked in Yakov. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he he's like a little shocked that she manages to make the trip without him knowing. And he goes to the hotel room and very shocked by her. And this is a fun, well, this is a fun little sequence that I don't think makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But she's in there and she, she finds, finds the gun. gun. She finds the gun and some other general spy stuff. And who are you? Which is fair, right? Yeah. Like if you came to surprise me in a hotel and you found knives and a gun, you'd be like, who the fuck are you? What yeah. the fuck? And it's an appropriate reaction. And it's a great moment when he's like, I work for the CIA. And she's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were a hitman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it is a nice little moment. I, I do like that a lot. But, but then again, like I said, I, I feel like if he's been with her for that long a time, I don't think this would be the first time he'd have a discrepancy mm-hmm. considering how much this can mess with your life. Yeah. I find that aspect completely unrealistic in the film. Yeah. That it happens just before the running time of the movie starts that there is an incident that will cause this event to occur. Yeah. It just doesn't work. For a sequel, yeah, it's fine. And I know this is a continuation of a series, but it's supposed to be the first time, right? Mm-hmm. So t- to me, it just, it just doesn't work. The way... Kathy finds out in the other movie, some of all fears is far more realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, this just doesn't make any sense to me at all for two 
humans, one of which is in the CIA and the person he loves and is closest to the most for not to realize anything until this moment. It just, it just doesn't work. And it made everything hollow. Yeah. You know, and even the scene after this, where they, they meet with Harper and they discuss how the hell the dinner's going to go down. Yeah. And then that's all this is, is, is Harper. Kathy wants to go into the meeting and that's what Victor is expecting. And Jack Ryan won't hear of it, but he knows it's the way it has to go down for it all to work. So they devise a plan. Yeah. Harper wants Jack Ryan to hack into a computer. We also get a, an odd scene with a guy who runs in upon a car and stabs a man in the throat. And the guy that he stabbed was an FBI agent. Yeah. Yeah. We have that scene. So Harper's plan doesn't make any sense. No. Because he wants an untrained civilian to go to dinner with an international arms dealer. Or I don't know if he's an arms dealer, but either way. He's a bad guy. Yeah, he's, he's not a good individual. He's dangerous. He can have you killed like that. It's it, very dangerous. And that's his plan, is for her to distract him with her feminine wiles for 30 to 40 minutes while Jack Ryan runs all the way to his office and hacks in, right? Mm-hmm. Are you telling me... With the budget, you can't go and get one analyst to take care of this job for you. You can't find one way to do a sneaky heist inside this building. You're telling me that this dumbass, idiotic plan, which is the laziest way for us to get from point C to point D, because we're already in the movie, is all that they could come up with? Uh-huh. Because he just runs over there, right? Flashes his key card and walks up. He has a little bit of danger when he gets in the building, right? Yeah. But, I mean, otherwise, I mean, this, this almost goes off without a hitch, right? Except that Kathy is suspected. Yeah, uh, there's a scene where, before they do this whole thing, where Jack asks her to marry him. Mm -hmm. And so they have this ring. Well, she takes the ring off when they're in the car because the driver is a little suspicious of the two of them. Yeah. And the driver's obviously going to tell Victor. And so she hides the ring, and they act like they're kind of upset with each other, like they're on the outs. Yeah. And yeah, they have like a fake fight. Yeah. Just to basically, that gives Jack the reason to leave and go for a walk. And when Jack left, I looked over and I told you, like, if Victor doesn't turn to her and go, do you think that I'm an idiot? I know. Do you think I can't see through your ruse? Do you think I can't drink all the vodka in this restaurant? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm doing too much Russian accent. <laughs> but I feel like that one narrator of the Hunt for October. It just, like, that's what I was waiting for. When it didn't happen, I was like, oh, so everyone's an idiot in this mm-hmm. movie. Great. Good to know. Jack Ryan gets drunk. Yeah, no one is intelligent in this movie. Everyone's an idiot, so Jack can look like a genius. Yeah. I hate that. Jack Ryan foes being a drunk person. Yeah, he took, he had Percocet and he had, yeah, and he had, um, he had some alcohol with it, so he's all tipsy and, and. And she goes along with it to, to supplant the, the ruse that she, they're trying to do. They're each playing their part and it's kind of stupid. She comes back from the bathroom and Ryan is almost belligerent and he's asked to go to, for a walk by Victor. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's basically, and like I said, this is him running down there to do everything with the plan and mm-hmm. Kathy is going to try to distract him. And Kira Knightley is able to make it kind of interesting. But like I said, the general conceit of this scene is preposterous to me. So the scene doesn't really work, but I think she's fine here. We got about three and a half minutes until one of uh, Victor's goons comes back to the office. So yep. there's, it's under a time limit. Ryan needs an access code and he gets it. So, but okay, there, there's a little joke here, right? And this is one of the other things that I like. So cut to earlier in the movie, the, the scene we didn't mention because it's almost unimportant. This is when he, we discover, right after it says 10 years later, 
he's walking in the building and he sees a colleague who has a new motorcycle that he bought. And Jack Ryan calls him out. Ah, you're trying to impress Emily in, in accounting, right? It's like, how'd you know? I was like, why else would you buy a bike? He goes, her name's Emily. And he tells her something else about him, about her. And you see Jack about two minutes later, Emily and this guy are meeting up and he uses that information to get a smile out of her. And Jack passes by and gives him like the finger guns. Mm -hmm. And that's who he has to call to help him with the access code later, right? Yeah. That very same guy. And he wants to give him the information on how well the date yeah. went, which I thought was, a, was cute. That, that was real. Because if you call somebody like, dude, homie, dude, I got to tell you. Homeboy Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you set me up, brother. I got it back. I, hey, man, that's great. But I, I, the access code is real important. <laughs> and the second he gets up, he's like, now let me tell you. Just Jack hangs up on him and types in and gets the fuck out. Yeah. He, he's got all the files and he exits down the private elevator. Victor looks at his phone and realizes he's being played. Yeah. So this is the moment where he gets his head out of his ass. And so, of course, Harper sends in the agents that are in there. Oh, what? There are no agents to back up the civilian who's in there with the fucking Russian deadly guy? Yeah. yeah no. So Kathy is taken mm -hmm. because Harper's a fucking moron or simply doesn't care. <laughs> Maybe he's just like, I don't care about this Ryan, this Ryan guy and his girlfriend. Who gives a shit? Then we get this scene where one of Victor's goons is telling him he's being a fucking pussy. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah, this is weird as shit. <laughs> I, 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 I was like, are, did we just wander a different movie? What, what's going on yeah, here? What Vic, is this? Victor kills the fuck out of him for it. I was almost blown away by that. I was like, okay, whatever. I, I, I felt like I missed the scene, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was something cut that led to that, and they just left it in there. Bad guys grab Kathy and they lay siege to the agents. Ryan, of course, goes after his yeah, love. He's running in hot pursuit. And this is where we get probably the worst scene in the movie. This is where we get the light bulb scene, right? Is, is it here or is it later? No, it's right here, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's right here. here. It's, it's right here. here. Yeah, it's right here. So Jack is, is running down the street as fast as he can. And he's trying to like not convince Victor that he is running towards his direction, uh -huh. which I was kind of confused that. I was like, well, he probably knows you're in route. Where else would you be going? Yeah. You're like, I've got to find a Russian Starbucks. No, you clearly want to go get your girlfriend. So whatever. But anyway, Victor comes up with what I would consider probably the lamest 24 bad guy monologue mm -hmm. and talks about putting the light, a light bulb in Kathy's mouth and then like punching her mouth shut and making it destroy her entire mouth and, you know, breathe in the chunks it of glass and slowly kill her and something like that. And he, he gives it a, a pretty lame description. And that's all it reminded me of because this is literally 24's bag, right? Yes. Of, of characters saying, this is what I'm going to do to your daughter. You know, all that kind of stuff. And he's, you know, doing a cartoonish Russian accent to give us that. And I was just like, ugh. Yeah. I mean, that was my only reaction during that. And of course, Jack makes it. There's no danger to Kathy. There never is. I mean, nobody's, everyone's fine. So, you know, he punches. <laughs> he's able to punch uh, Victor and knock him clean out and get Kathy out of the vehicle and just run off like it's not a big deal. Uh-huh. I hate this scene and I yeah. hate this movie. Yeah, it's so it's, fucking it, stupid. It's just like the cheapest, laziest way for us to get from point A to yeah. point B on a $120 million movie directed by a future Oscar nominee. Yeah. It's wild if you really think about how poor this is. Ryan eventually comes into this and he gets her back and kills Victor. Now the CIA is looking. He doesn't kill Victor. Oh, I wrote that down. Yeah, no, it looks like Victor's dead. <laughs> Remember? It, we see him later. He's alive. Yeah. He, he made it. He, he's in the finale, guys. Now the CIA is looking to Victor's son. And then we have a clunky scene where Jack goes from one analyst to another 
piecing together information. Yeah, this is supposed to be like a big discovery scene, and it just kind of falls flat. Yeah. And I, I just feel like the movie's killing time, spinning its wheels at this point. Jack, I feel the movie does this a lot. Jack Ryan thinks his son is in Pennsylvania. Alex, Victor's son, right? Or, yeah, Victor's son. Not Jack's, not Jack's illegitimate child. No, Victor's son, Alexander, and his son is rigging a bomb. They believe there is an attack on Wall Street that is imminent. Yeah, they're going to bring... And that's the idea of this whole movie. I, I like how the plot, one of the major elements we for, sort of forgot to bring up. And that is like this whole plot is about bringing down the United States economy. Yeah. Not the government, but the economy. So yeah, they, they, they want to shut down the economy by doing some other random bullshit. Jack Ryan gets in another helicopter. And then we see Victor and he's watching the stocks. Yeah. Ryan thinks Alexander is under the building in the sewer. So he sets a timer for about five minutes. And Jack Ryan comes and tries to stop him. Yeah, yeah, and then this is it's just, I mean, just a dumb chase is really all we have here. Yeah. You know, as I think of all the other movies and everything else that leads into every big plot point, everything's just like, go here, go there, do that. You know, it's a very simple plot. Jack Ryan takes the vehicle the bomb is in and heads to the water. Yeah, I, I do like the way this is done. This is a neat idea, him just driving it in the water. Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure that would still be an ecological disaster. Yeah, yeah. Like this just, I know people didn't die at that moment in time, but a lot of people are going to die from that decision. Now, I mean, that he did the right thing, but I'm just saying, like, that it's not one of those like the day is saved. Like, well, not really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I had the same problem in the last movie too, and they're like, oh, our marriage is going to be a happy one. I was like, Baltimore's destroyed forty miles away. And then we have this scene where, God, this was such a stupid scene where. Jack Ryan is in a car with Alexander and they're kind of fighting and Jack Ryan takes a seatbelt and he ties it around the steering wheel. Like that's going <laughs> to, that's, that's how, yeah. that's how you drive a car just with the steering wheel, <laughs> yeah. not with the pedals yeah, or anything. He grabbed that and he tied it and then he got in the back of the vehicle to fight. I was like, wait, 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 that's, it's not, it's not at all how <laughs> things work. Yeah. I was like, that's not going to, you can do that if your next move is jumping out of the vehicle, not staying in it to engage in mortal combat. Just ridiculous. It, which is, like I said, a, another strange decision that shows the laziness of this movie. And I don't understand it. There's no reason for it. Not with this talent. Jack Ryan attacks Alexander and kills him and the bomb and goes off in the water. And then Victor gets shot and killed by the Russian mob. Yeah, and that's basically, that's how all these movies end, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, they, they come around. They, they get share. their comeuppance. Yeah, they, they, that's what happens. They, they get taken out by KGB or John Clark or whoever, and they get their, their comeuppance. And, and that's what happens here. He's taken out. And Jack Ryan and Kathy have a moment, and then he meets the president, and that's how the movie kind of ends. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They, they do a big deal about him, like, meeting the president for the first time. We don't see the president in this movie. I just, you know, once again, uh, as an origin story, it's not very good. I think yeah. as, a, as a Jack Ryan movie, it's incomplete. As a Tom Clancy story, it's woefully lacking. As just a fun, a fun American blockbuster romp, it's just not there. This is unwatchable and pointless. So, we've seen a lot of Jack Ryan the last few weeks. Yes. How would you rank the Jack Ryans? How, how am I going to rank Jack Ryan? So, so for ranking Jacks, I, I've got to say, obviously, number one is going to be Harrison Ford. And I, I do want to talk about this for just one minute. And that's Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy did not like Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. He didn't like him in the role. And I do believe Tom Clancy looked at Jack Ryan as himself. And I think when, I think he always thought himself as a young virile male. And so when like Harrison Ford played him, he was like, Harrison Ford's old. I'm not like that. When, yeah. when Tom Clancy was indeed old. 
And that turned him off the character. And I think that's one of the reasons that he liked Ben Affleck because Ben Affleck was young. He's like, yeah, that's how I view myself. That's a reason that, that he liked him. But uh, I do believe that dad, Jack Ryan, in the form of Harrison Ford is quite good. And I think it is the truest interpretation of this character as someone who is a soldier, but that is in his past. He's a smart man, an analyst, mm-hmm. and he will do the right thing when no one else is going to, and it needs, and it needs to be done. You know, that that's, that's Jack Ryan. He doesn't, he's always going to call people out when they're not willing to do what needs to be done. And we see that in clear and present danger. And we see a little bit of that in the, some of all fears as well. I know that's not Harrison Ford, but you know what I'm saying? Like that part is a true element of the character and Harrison Ford carries that part effortlessly, yeah. even if he is a little too old for the part. I agree with you. I, I would put Harrison Ford as my number one too. My number two would be John Krasinski. My number two would be Alec Baldwin because it's a completely different interpretation on the character and I think it's fantastic. But let's talk about Krasinski. I like Krasinski because he's playing an analyst as, as Jack Ryan's supposed sure. to be. Yeah. Um, he seems really smart, um, very capable. Um, he, I, th- I think Krasinski just plays him really well. Yeah, I think Krasinski is a lot more the physical embodiment of yeah. Jack Ryan. I think the age is just about right. Krasinski's a little too old to be the young Jack Ryan. Yeah, because I think he's almost forty by the time he's playing the young Jack Ryan. So if he, you know, if he was Affleck's age when he did some of all fears, that'd be perfect. But or beginning of the office, things would look a little bit better. But he does have the portrayal of a man who is using his intelligence more than his brawn. Yeah. He has that down perfectly. Yeah. And that's what Jack Ryan is all about. He can outsmart you and think on his feet. And Krasinski loses. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a big part of the Tom Clancy novels and Jack Ryan. You're not going to win every time. Not every operation is going to be a success. Sometimes your friends are going to get killed in the military. It's just how yeah. it goes. And you know that, that's something that he has to deal with. You know, we're, we're currently in the middle of season two, and he just lost the senator. And like, he's doing whatever he can for that. Like it's a big loss that he takes and it's something that drives him. And I like that in a character mm-hmm. that it's not just win after win after win. That loss is what drives him. It's why we like something like the dark Knight. So Alec Baldwin's your number two. He's my number four. Okay. Well, here's the thing I like about Baldwin is nobody said Jack Ryan couldn't be cool. And he's a cool version of Jack Ryan. He's young. He's intelligent. He knows it. And he doesn't really care about what anybody else thinks. He just knows that he's right, and he's the most intelligent guy there. That's a little bit different from the other interpretations, but not necessarily wrong from what I read in The Hunt for Red October. Jack believes those things, and like the way Alec Baldwin was able to look at all the facts in The Hunt for Red October and realize, like, oh, wait, he's defecting. He's not pulling an attack. That was done brilliantly, but just his face. There's nothing else. Just his face. There's barely a line, you know, and that's something not a lot of actors can do, and Alec Baldwin's got no problem with it. Considering that I didn't even know that Alec Baldwin was Jack Ryan. And that's the story's fault, not his. I think it's partially his fault. No, because he's, he's just not the hero of that movie. He's a, a one of the protagonists, but he's not the main hero of that. That's Sean Connery's movie. Mm. You know, and I think that's one of the issues with it as, as well as a, as a Jack Ryan story. Because I found the same problem in the book. Is this, I was like, who the hell's the, the hero of this story? Mm-hmm. Who the hell's the, the protagonist here? And like I said, that was one of the problems I mentioned then. I mentioned it again now. But I, I don't hold that against Baldwin's performance. I, I think I would have loved to have seen him do Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. He probably would have knocked it out of the park as well. Just a different version of that. My number three is Ben Affleck. And we're in the same boat here, Ben, ben Affleck, yeah. for, for, for both of us here. Number four, Alec Baldwin. Number five, I think we're both in agreement, Chris Pine. 
Yeah, Chris Pine's going to be the worst actor to to take on the role. Now, weirdly enough, I thought about swapping Affleck and and Pine here because I think Affleck is just okay as this character. He's nothing special. I think the problem with it is he's supposed to be a nervous young analyst. And I think Affleck does a good job of that, but it also doesn't embody everything about the character. But he does a pretty nice job, just nothing fantastic in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen Ben Affleck get a second movie and try to grow into the character a little bit more where he's not playing him on his first time out, you know, to see a little bit more confidence out of him. But, you know, we, we just didn't get that. So what I can judge from that movie, I, I would say, you know, where he is, is is just fine. And and since Pine's version isn't much of a Jack Ryan character, even though he is called Jack Ryan, he just falls to the bottom of the list. And then I also took the time to rank the Cathy's. Oh, the Cathy's. All right. Yes. I put Annie Archer number one. Bridget Monahan at number two, Abby Cornish at number three, and Kara Knightley at number four. Okay, so obviously I agree with you. Number one, yeah. Because well, first one. of all, in Patriot Games, she actually has something to do. Yeah, you did leave one off, and I'll get to it. I, I would say Bridget Monahan after that because she has fantastic chemistry yeah. with Ben Affleck. I would love to see her have more scenes. I would love to see their relationship grow in another movie, but we didn't get it. Yeah. So that that is sadly missed. But she has small. Uh, she has a small amount of screen time, but she cashes it in. Perfectly, in my opinion. Then after that, I would say Kira Knightley. I think Kira Knightley isn't much of a Kathy, mm-hmm. and the character doesn't have a lot going for it. But she is a fantastic actress, and even in sequences I don't like, like the dinner scene, she's able to keep me intrigued with just her skill. And yeah. that's something I can't say for the other actresses playing the role. I struggled putting Abby over Kira because I just don't like Abby Cornish. Yeah, and I don't like her performance. Mm-hmm. So I kind of struggle with that, but Kira Knightley does, she's not enough of a Kathy to me to be ranked on this list very high. Yeah. See, I, I just had to put it for skill because I feel the same exact way about Abby Cornish. I don't know who that character is and why they call her oh, Kathy. I'm telling you. But I wouldn't put her, I put her, I put Gates McFadden next. Gates McFadden. Yeah. She is the wife in one scene in Hunt for Red October. Yeah. That's um, Crusher. I forgot about her. Yeah. You forgot about Crusher from Star Trek. Yeah. And yeah, she plays it in, 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 by the way, I believe Kathy is a redhead in canon. So I don't know why they changed that. Hmm. But yeah, she's only a redhead for those those two movies. And then uh, in, in the other, obviously Moynihan uh, was a brunette. Cornish is a blonde. And Keira Knightley's another brunette. Yeah. And I mean, that's not really that important, guys. It doesn't really matter what color the hair is, but no. I'm just pointing that out. And like I said, after that, Abby Cornish, I, I just, the character's underwritten. She isn't a strong actress. I mean, maybe she is. I've just never seen her. I don't like her. her. I've been like, wow, Abby Cornish did a great job. It just never happened. I never said it. I just don't care for her in that role. And, and obviously she's not in season two for a reason. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure she'll come back on later and maybe she'll do great. But, you know, we, we're just going to finish season two here. So I would I even can only be fine that. if they just cut her out or brought in somebody else. <laughs> a new Kathy. Yeah. And Bring just, in a new Kathy. Another Kathy. Just we'll forget about season one, Kathy. All right. I have a few facts. Bring in Madeline Pusch. <laughs> In the hospital scene where Jack Ryan is undergoing rehabilitation for injuries suffered in Afghanistan, the other patients are actual Afghanistan veterans. Oh, okay. Very cool. After playing British, German, Australian, Swedish, Danish, and American characters in his career, this was the first time that Sir Kenneth Branagh played a Russian. Branagh originally did not wish to portray the character and agreed to do so only if he was allowed to direct the film. There were plans to build a cinematic. That's a bad decision, guys. <laughs> there were plans to build a cinematic universe of sorts with Thomas Harper bridging a series between Chris Pine's Jack Ryan and John Clark. 
Paramount Pictures had been courting Tom Hardy as Clark, but due to the poor box office performance, Paramount abandoned the idea. Yeah, I can understand. The movie did not do very well uh, when it came out. Like I said, I mean, it's completely forgotten and lost to time, so that's a, that's a great example that it didn't do well enough. Even though I would have liked to have seen that. Ryan Gosling and James Franco were considered for the role of Jack Ryan. Those could have worked as well. Oh. Oh, that's right. In the year 2002, Roger Ebert was very much alive, even if Gene Siskel was not. So, Roger Ebert did review the sum of all fears in that post-9-11 haze. Let me ask you, do you think he liked it? Yeah. He did. He yeah. actually did really like this movie. He gave it three and a half stars. Yeah. Which really surprised me that he liked it that much. Seems like a movie he would like. Yeah, it cer- certainly does. So, with that being said, Roger Ebert says... Oh, the innocent days when a movie like The Sum of All Fears can be enjoyed as a thriller. In these dark times, it is not a thriller, but a confirmer, confirming our fears that the world is headed for disaster. This film is about the detonation of a nuclear device in an American city. No less an authority than Warren Buffett recently gave a speech in which he flatly stated that such an event was inevitable. Movies like Black Sunday could exercise our fears, but this one works instead to give them form. To be sure, Tom Clancy's horrifying vision has been footnoted with an obligatory Hollywood happy ending, in which world war is averted and attractive young people pledge love while sitting on a blanket in the sunshine on the White House lawn. We can walk out smiling, unless we remember that much of Baltimore is radioactive rubble. Human nature is a wonderful thing. The reason the ending is happy is because we in the audience assume we'll be the two on the blanket, not the countless who've been vaporized. The movie is based on another of Clancy's fearfully factual stories about Jack Ryan. The CIA agent, this time, is a good deal younger than Harrison Ford's Ryan in Clear and Present Danger, and played by Ben Affleck. It follows the ancient convention in which the hero goes everywhere important and personally performs most of the crucial actions, but it feels less contrived because Clancy has the expertise about warfare and national security issues. The plot is a device to get us from one packet of information to another. The story. In 1973, an Israeli airplane carrying a nuclear bomb crashes into Syria. Many years later, the unexploded bomb is dug up, goes on the black market, and is sold to a right-wing fanatic who has a theory. Hitler was stupid. He fought America and Russia instead of letting them fight one another. The fanatic's plan is to start a nuclear exchange between the two superpowers, after which Aryan fascists would pick up the pieces. The use of neo-Nazis is politically correct. Best to invent villains who wouldn't offend any audiences. This movie can play in Syria, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq without getting any walkouts. It's more likely that if a bomb ever does go off in a big city, the perpetrators will be the true believers whose certainty would be next to the world gives them. Think about that. The right to kill us is in this one. In the film, Ryan becomes a sort of unofficial protege of Bill Cabot, Morgan Freeman, a high-level CIA agent and a good guy who maintains a back channel into the Kremlin to avoid just such understandings as occur. Ryan and Cabot fly to Moscow when a new president assumes power, and the new Soviet leader is shown as a reasonable man who must take unreasonable actions, like invading Chechnya, to placate the militarists in the government. America is being run by President Fowler, a tall, Lincoln-esque James Cromwell, who is surrounded by advisors cast with some of the most convincing character actors in movies, Philip Baker Hall, Alan Bates, and Bruce McGill. Crucial scenes take place aboard Air Force One after Baltimore has been bombed, and we see the president and his cabinet not in a cool analytical discussion, but all shouting at once. Somehow I am reassured by the notion that our leaders might really be upset at such a time, 
Anyone who can be dispassionate about nuclear war is probably able to be a countenance one. There are some frightening special effects in the movie, which I will not describe because their unexpected appearance has such an effort. There are also several parallel storylines, including one involving a particularly skilled dirty trick specialist named John Clark, played by Liev Schreiber, who I am glad to have on our side. There are also the usual frustrations in which the man with the truth can't get through because of bureaucracy. Against these strengths, there are some weaknesses. I think Jack Ryan's one-man actions in post-bomb Baltimore are unlikely and way too well-timed. I doubt he would find the evildoer still hanging around the scene of the crime. I'm not sure all the threads, identifying the plutonium, finding the shipping manifest in the invoice, tracking down the guy who dug up the bomb, could take place with such gratifying precision. And I smile wearily at the necessity of supplying Jack with a girlfriend, Bridget Moynihan, who exists only so that she can be, one, impatient when he is called away for dates on official business, two, disbelieve his alibis, three, be heroic, four, be worried about him, five, be smudged with blood and dirt, and six, populate the happy ending. We are so aware of the character's function that we can barely believe her as a person. These details are not fatal to the film, however. Director Phil Alden Robinson and his writers, Paul Atanzio and Daniel Pine, do a spellbinding job of cranking up the tension. They create a portrait of convincing realism. And then they add other stuff because, well, if anybody makes a movie like this without obligatory Hollywood softeners, audiences might flee at the theater in despair. My own fear is that the post-apocalyptic future, the sum of all fears, will be seen as touchingly optimistic. Beautiful. Yeah, Roger Ebert did really like that movie. If you didn't like Bridget Moynihan. Okay, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. 3.7 user review. Not great. 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. Better than I thought. 6.2 on IMDb. Higher than I thought, too. And I went with a 10-star review. Let's hear what this guy says about it. Maybe he's a big... Maybe it's Kevin Brana. Well, it is all there. All of it. If this was the first American movie that you've ever watched, <laughs> you would get all of what you need to come away rooting for them. <laughs> okay, sure. There's no denying that this is a high-quality movie with all the production and effects but a solid eight figures can buy you. And where it gets good is in the telling. Nonsense aside, this is a good movie with decent action and very good stunts, acted by a very talented cast and set in amazing places. It is Mission Impossible crossed with Bourne of any shape and an enjoyable way that doesn't treat you like a moron. Each location had the right things and people, and with just enough action to build the tension and keep you hooked. This is not a popcorn midsummer bubblegum bit of fluff, this is your real action suspense and spy type stuff here. Jack Ryan is just a man, but he is one to look up to. Um, that was... He was so positive. Yeah, he, he was. I don't want to hate on that guy too much. Yeah. I, he, just, he just enjoyed the movie. That's okay. Sometimes movies hit with you. It's fine. I, I Sometimes, you know, I like a bad movie. It happens. It's all right. I like mm -hmm. Freddy Got Fingered. I like the sweetest thing. There you go. I remember that was like what, like in sixteen percent yeah. of Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Yeah, so they're like way lower than I thought. Like, holy shit, people hate this movie. What are you gonna do? Yeah, well, with that, we have wrapped up Jack Ryan. Yep, we're done, guys. No more Jack Ryan. No more Jack Ryan. We're gonna keep watching the TV show, but we're not gonna talk about it anymore. Mm -mm. After this, uh, we we are moving on. I don't know what we're moving on to. We've debated back and forth whether we're gonna do horror or comedy. Yeah. Yeah, because we it is the 40th anniversary this next week of National Lampoon's Family Vacation. Yeah. And so we, we might do that, and it's appropriate to end summer with, I think, a big summer movie. 
I mean, nothing says summer like a summer vacation. And oddly enough, we haven't seen the, the follow-up to that, the reboot. Mm-mm. So we, we haven't seen that one. And then we're also thinking about doing The Grudge. So we don't know just yet. Yeah. We don't know. The, gr- the Grudge is a bigger series, though. I will say that. The Grudge will take a lot more and has a lot more moving parts. Yeah. So who knows? But uh, Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have any. That's right. Fuck social media. We don't need it. But in reality, we actually do need social yes. media. So if you would like to get a hold of us, you can do that by heading over to Instagram or TikTok and searching for Gritty Reboot. And that is the best way to get a hold of us. You can send us a message, ask us a question, or just leave a like, whichever you prefer. Yeah, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, we'd like to hear from you, so yeah. keep, keep giving us some comments. Yeah, please uh, give us a review wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple, or even if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you know, a like, a subscribe, please, if you can. Uh, we certainly do appreciate everything, and we always do. So like I said, any questions, we will definitely answer on the show. Because we don't get a lot. <laughs> so, you know, with that being said, guys, we appreciate you uh, doing your patriotic duty and coming by and listening to us talk about Tom Clancy and Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. And that Ben Affleck is the greatest actor in the world. No. <laughs> uh, and with that being said, guys, we are out. Bye. Bye.